0: Hello and uh, welcome. This is a podcast by HeadSpring, a partnership between the uh, Financial Times and the uh, IE Business School in Madrid. We're going to talk to Tina Williamson, who is uh, the owner and the CEO of Above and Beyond, um, which is uh, an international uh, consulting group um, that specializes in diversity and inclusion. And I am your host, Silvia Pavoni, a Financial Times journalist. Tine, welcome. Thank you so much. So we are recording this uh, just ahead of uh, International Women's Day uh, taking place on the 8th of March. We're going to talk about, obviously, diversity and inclusion. We're going to talk about um, women and uh, trying to uh, beef up the pipeline when it comes to careers. But shall we start with the good news? So um, what do you think, what makes you feel hopeful that some, We are actually marching ahead with progress, if we can use such a word, when it comes to gender equality.
1: Well, there's uh, always been a lot of debate about what needs to be done in order to to speed up the process. And we are all about trying to accelerate things. So the uh, discussions that are happening currently in the EU has been taking on for, has been taking a long time actually, but in terms of quotas. And uh, recently, um, Germany now changed their veto uh, on the suggestion uh, my country denmark the government also just a few days ago um, announced that they wouldn't go against it but for it so it seems that uh, even though i know that quota is something that divides the waters so to speak um, it can be uh some would call it maybe a necessary evil um, it's always good to have uh, freedom uh, to choose especially as as, as business owners um, when you when you hire people but um, it is typically a very good measure it seems in order to actually help the behavioral change and make sure that you get the diversity that is necessary um, especially at the board level.
0: So this is a proposal that would have a 40 to 60 split um, so men uh, women to men when it comes to uh, board positions clearly you think that this is um positive? Because do we need to mm-hmm. actually force change? Is that why this is such um, good news? And and also, do you also see the point of view of the ones who continue to be sceptical, if not, you know, flat out against quotas?
1: Well, I mean, when we look at the statistics from World Economic Forum and, and so on, um, then uh, globally speaking, it, it is really difficult to... Um, to change the status quo if you don't do something a bit more drastical. What people tend to forget, though, is that quotas typically is, is only a um, um, temporary uh, thing. So it's not something necessarily that you keep. It's something you do in order to guide the companies in the right direction. Um, so, yes, I, I think it's uh, it's going to be a fantastic possibility for all the amazing talents that are out there, again, uh, globally and also here in the Nordics, um, we actually now have more women that are graduating with uh, degrees uh, than men. Uh, However, when you get to the very top, even globally, again, depending on which stats you're looking at, there's still only 9% female CEOs um uh, so if you look at g20 and so on um a lot of not, not a lot of female so there's something that has to be done and rapidly because it's also from a socioeconomic point of view um really a waste and uh, definitely it's not about as our minister of equal opportunities in denmark said the other day when she was for the the proposal it's actually not this discussion that seems to be going on that oh now we need to go and pull in women from the street no we have <laughs> highly
0: qualified women out there that are ready
1: to open door on the invitation so it's it's going to be really exciting to see
0: so policymakers are now in favor um the ones who were still reticent um Many women will see the benefit, obviously, uh, of this. And as you say, it's not like uh, there aren't any women out there who can actually um, start to be channeled um, in those positions. What about companies? So clearly you work with um, a lot of businesses advising on how to deal with uh, with diversity and inclusion. Mm. How are they taking this?
1: Well, I've, I've heard several of the major CEOs uh, come out and, and talk positively about it. And I think, in general, we all need to look at this as a societal thing. It's not just um, the, the private business community, um, nor just the politicians. It's it's actually everyone together. Um, we talk, in above and beyond something, you know, very simple. We call it triple transformation. We typically help the corporates a lot, and that's kind of one leg, uh, the, the workplaces. But if you're not at the same time look at the structural cultural changes that needs to happen in society where the politicians have to help, and also um, in the families, then nothing really will change. So it's a, it's a very dynamic thing, but there's definitely sort of wind of change happening globally at the moment, also with Black Lives Matter and the Me Too waves and so on. So it's it's quite interesting times we're living through. And I must say the big companies we work with, the, the Vestas, the Mask, the all the, the, the top companies, PwC, McKenzie, and so on, they have been preparing and working on this in a very dedicated manner for a long time. And it actually starts, of course, with strengthening the female talent pipeline um, from the very beginning um, of the career ladder all the way up. So uh, the boards are only um, one place to start, so to speak. You, of course, also need to look at the gender split um, across the next layers of leadership. And in general, of course, which I'm also very keen to always bring up, we're not just talking, gender, of course, diversity in the broader sense and and that's also the element of inclusion, which is key.
0: So quotas, um, in theory, are going to force change or very much in practice um, if then the proposal will um, uh, be um, uh, introduced um, and, uh, and uh, become law. Um, mm. There is another issue, though, which is um, not really something you can fix with, uh, with um, uh, legislative action, which is the, the one of bias. Mm -hmm. And that's so important even before getting to to board positions, right? So ensuring that uh, we all try to deal with bias and we all have some uh, sort of bias um, in -hmm. a way that reflects uh, the the society really that we want to live in. So how do you approach Mm -hmm. that?
1: Well, absolutely. Bias is actually one of the biggest barriers, and we all have them, as you say. It's biology. So (laughs) what we need to do is sort of hack our own um, thinking and decision process, which I find extremely interesting. And we're we're doing lots of training in in this area. Some people are beginning to say that unconscious bias training doesn't work, which I find really quite extraordinary. But what it is, is that it, it takes time. Behavioral change really takes time. Um, and it does take some time uh, until you yourself personally actually even can see your blind spots. It's always much easier to see someone else's blind spot. You probably know that mm-hmm. <laughs> at, at a personal level. We know it from our partners and friends, and they think they're also international or inclusive or whatever. And then you, you sit as a, you stand as a, the bystander and you can see the flaws. So it's, it's kind of important that we start uh, addressing our own biases. And of course, those we have. our workplaces in the teams and all the way of course to the management level so that we have more inclusive leadership you can do as much as you want in terms of retaining and attracting diverse talents but if they're not um feeling included they will leave and there's quite a war on talent going on at the moment so especially if you're trying to change the gender balance at the top you've got to be extremely careful right now to really um Invest and and make sure that you keep the talents you already have. And one of the the barriers out there, as you said uh, so well, is is the bias. I mean, we have just one of the the most um, important ones. I mean affinity bias that we just as human beings, and it goes all the way back to the caveman, that we constantly for security and harmony and so on, it's that sort of friend and foe goes all the way back to us being afraid of being eaten and and being alert in the brain of any dangers. So every time we feel um, comfortable and safe is typically when we are surrounding ourselves by someone who looks and seems and talks like ourselves. And uh, we have this in our circles of friends. If you look at your most sort of trusted circle of friends, the ones you are happy or sad or, or have a complex issue, you typically, um, depending on where you live in the world and who you are and your background and so on, but very often we tend to cluster ourselves with similar people in terms of gender and age and education and so on, um, which of course means that the issues you have to solve you know, are not really being solved the right way because you're not having diverse views on it. And it's the same thing, the affinity bias is what we take with us to work, which means again, when we have a, a big project, we tend to just alleviate towards someone that's similar to ourselves so this is where you have the problem because then you have these very homogeneous teams and you have this group thinking and tunnel vision and so on and this is this is of course even where you know innovative products are not made where you are not seeing new market opportunities and so on and so forth so it's 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 a major issue and if i can just say one more thing on this i always find it so interesting when we are um, training our, our international clients and so on that when we're talking about this thing with buyers and we talk about um, hiring and organizations, um, it's it's kind of different as soon as I say, think of your suppliers or think of your clients. And instantly they're very used to selling to the world or buying from the world. And there are all sorts of cultural diversity is absolutely normal. But it's just somehow when you get to the headquarters and uh, to the very top of the organizations, everybody suddenly look the same. So there's really a discrepancy there, which I also see as a huge business opportunity for everyone.
0: Now, absolutely. That's exactly what I was going to, to mention, because it must be so um, complex to to try and change this setup, which, um, as you say, it's, uh, it's part of, uh, I guess, our nature
1: mm-hmm. for
0: companies that by necessity and by uh, just by by their setup are international so they they uh, it is a business imperative to actually um uh, be being able to um include all those different points of views um into um into their thinking when they operate Absolutely. with with so many different uh, customers across so many uh, different countries and jurisdictions and so on. um mm-hmm. but then bias so you can't really force change right? can you with or, or maybe you can maybe you have actually cracked the solution and you. <laughs> uh, you found the switch, and you know, uh, you know, and you know uh, how to operate it. But otherwise, it feels like it's a. Uh, uh, it, it may be a little bit of a long, really very much long-term process. So you perhaps you get exposed to mm. people who do not look like you or do not think like you, and then you yeah. become uh, yeah. less biased against them.
1: There are, there are, it, it is complex. Um, that's actually why we like to work in, in this space because there's so many different variables. But but I actually think one of the key, um, not to simplify is something that actually is right com- rather complex. But I think it's got to do with really focusing on what it means to be inclusive. So some of the very sort of basic tips uh, we often give is is that thing about just simply being open-minded, um, sitting down in a me- in a meeting and sort of doing the the tour de tablet. So to make sure that everybody have um, their time to speak, that you are not interrupting others, that you actually listen to what's being said. Um, you know, there's a lot of other biases. I won't go through them all. There's about 180 or 90 uh, listed at the moment. But there's also that whole thing that you want to conform uh, to, to what everybody else is, is is saying and doing. So hence, you don't necessarily hear everybody's opinions. And it can be anyone who comes with the next bright idea or can reduce your your risks uh, and so on and so forth. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, it's basically... Uh, <laughs> even just the thing of, of looking at your decision table, I mean, who who do you have in the meeting when you sit down as a team? Typically, you, you bring the same people together all the time. Why not go uh, out and find someone really young and go and ask someone from IT to join you and maybe someone who's been in the company for 40 years and someone who is actually Chinese when you talk about entering the Chinese market? Then you'll have a completely different cluster and a completely different discussion going on. And it's kind of it's kind of logical, mm. so I think one of the ways to we see uh, with great success that, that we help transform companies is definitely we have sort of a roadmap where we map out um, sort of seven basic steps. But you need to lead from the top, so it's super important to actually start with the CEO or the board, or the top leadership, um, make sure that they're really committed and understand that this is business critical and all the benefits strong mandate to HR and afterwards and HR having uh, both budgets and and plans and and communication skills and so on to engage the entire organization, which is a mixture of both training in terms of having more awareness about what is an inclusive culture? What is it we want to contribute to in in this company, in this workplace? How is it, you know, your personal life also becomes much more enriched when you are more inclusive in your mind. So what what we often do is to simplify things. We sort of talk about a, a DNI roadmap with sort of seven uh, steps. So you really need to anchor the change and the commitment to to diversity, equity, and inclusion at the very top uh, with the board and the CEOs, and make sure so that they are uh, trained and open-minded in terms of um, creating this inclusive culture. Give a strong mandate. Afterwards, the next step to HR and make sure so that they have the right data to know where you're at in order to uh, benchmark the the road ahead. And then, of course, it's engaging the entire organization. And that is, of course, with everything from town hall meetings to training, feedback uh, loops and so on, um, both at an individual level, at a team level. um, And then, uh, then the really important part is also to strengthen your talent pipeline and everything that goes with that which is is such a big process in itself, making sure there's no bias when you are recruiting, when you are advancing, making sure that there's equal opportunity to development and leadership programs and so on and so forth. Um, And once the culture then is beginning to grow and is being more open and inclusive, then the talents that you are both hiring and advancing will then really feel that they belong and that they are seen and heard. And hence uh, have equal opportunity if they have the skills and the will to um, to get all the way to the top. And then, of course, we always work with companies in terms of constantly evaluating where they are and stretching the targets like any other business goal.
0: So this is really a job for the CEO. Um, that's the position that the sort of uh, you know the head of the company. You talk to to them to try. And Absolutely. I mean,
1: we we have CEO committees um, mm. of these large companies because they also like to, of course, pick each other's brains. Because it, I tend to feel that, like with the SDG goals in general, the the sustainable development work together to achieve these big goals. Um, and someone is typically sitting with one part of the puzzle and have solved something, but someone else. Um, know something else, so so this whole thing about sharing is really how you see that you accelerate
0: yeah so you do want the CEO commitment and also um, to um, I guess um, uh, have some financial commitment so uh, that would go back to the CEO decision to uh, allow some spending in, in this area and power human resources as as you were mentioning, and just looking actually um, at the change in um, uh, in the gender pay gap. Um, so recently, I was looking at some data um, um, from the uh, Bloomberg Gender Equity Index, uh, the latest mm-hmm. one. Um, so here at the Financial Times at work, um, we've just launched actually a platform uh, that looks at sustainability, the way that's uh, in which um, environmental, social and governance factors are reshaping capital. Um, and mm-hmm. uh, in particular, the the new sets of uh, policy and regulations that are driving this change. So, you know, going back Mm -hmm. to quarters, we are definitely very much interested in in finding out how new laws are going to to reshape uh, this space. Um, And looking uh, in particular at that um, index, I mean, it's interesting to note that uh, uh, out of uh, 418 companies that that they surveyed, the average um, uh, gender pay gap stood at 19%, which isn't great, mm-hmm. right? So a man makes 100, a woman makes 80. Not great. Mm-hmm. But the second that the company is led by a woman, mm-hmm. this goes down to 14%. Um okay obviously the number of female CEOs um, is still very much low uh, and it represents, according to, to that particular f- study, only 7.5% of, of these companies. So, um, you know, companies including BlackRock, uh, um, uh, AXA, um, City of course, now we're thinking about a woman in charge. Um, and so it's, it's, Interesting, isn't it? Just the mere fact mm. that there is a woman in charge changes the statistics, changes the data. Are you surprised by this? Are we reading too much into this? Mm. I uh, First of all, I'll say up front that I think it's so
1: important in this change that we always include the men. So, um, I mean, we even run a conference called Womenomics, but it's it's all about constantly looking at the entire talent pool. So um, what typically, uh, I know the, the Bloomberg gender equality Typically, what it is that they register is, yes, of course, also if there's a woman at the very top as, as a CEO. But what matters really is that the, the gender mix is typically quite quickly higher in those different companies. And I've worked here, for example, with with Microsoft, that two years in a row I've had a female CEO. And, and one of the things I know is that when you have some fairly senior uh, manager, male manager, in, in, in a tech company coming, typically saying, oh, you know, for this position, it's really difficult. You know, I wanted to, uh, to have a diverse profile because that's what we want here at Microsoft. But, you know, I just couldn't find a qualified woman. If you come and say that to your female CEO, a bit difficult. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you can't say that. It just seems silly. You know what I mean? But if you're only, um, you know, 20 men at the top, then everybody, again, back to the bias would say, yeah, it's really difficult. I know what you mean. I don't know anyone in my network either. So so as soon as you have the diversity, and the same goes for, uh, for ethnicity, if you are, as I often say, because my, my background has long time ago and also been in, in global export, I mean, if you want to enter the Middle Eastern market or the American market or whatever, of course, in your core team or heading up that effort, you need to have someone from the Middle East or the U.S., uh, because you have a completely different view on things. So, um, so coming back to the pay gap, you're talking about. Um, I definitely and 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 many of us, of course, think. Uh, and I still haven't met a CEO that don't think that that equal equal work and tasks should should have equal pay. Uh, but this is again about systems and compliance. And I think whether we talk quotas or or um, equal pay or whatever it is, I think we need to look at it sort of as a compliance thing because all the big companies in the world, I mean, look at everybody who signed up to Global Compact and so on, everybody who goes to the World Economic Forum in, in Davos, um, they everybody would actually like to be the good one in class. They're, they're all innovative, large, leading companies. So simple of it. So, people are, you know, Unilever and many others are really going for the 50 50 mark. Uh, IKEA is, is also 59, 51%, if we if we just talk gender right now, um, in leadership. So, so, it is achievable. And uh, when big leading companies are doing this, everybody else wants to follow. And I do believe that uh, that, that is also the effect that the, the quota will have. I've also seen other research that says that if you engage in something like the quotas, then you will have um the fear factor will disappear so if you ask uh, countries that don't have the quota they will be typically uh, very hesitant and and against it and once you actually start applying it you start looking for exactly the the, the purpose of it new talents and then you get uh, different opinions at your board uh, sometimes also with different background and the conversation will change. It will be better for um, the, the finding of, of mistakes. Uh, the risks will be lower. The innovation will be higher. So typically once you start, um, I saw someone was writing, which was interesting, saying a bit like, you know, the smoking ban in restaurants and nightclubs mm-hmm. and planes. Everybody was fighting against it. And then afterwards, when you actually have it everywhere, you uh, you don't really want it back. So um, I, I think we just have to um, find the right gear and the right way to to achieve what all the evidence shows is the right way forward, which is diversity and inclusion.
0: Uh, So perhaps there may be also some bias against new things coming in, dealing with change. Could that also (laughs) come into play here? Um, We all resist change. It just depends on which area of our lives, uh right? Absolutely. Okay, so... When women are in charge, things really start to change, or at least there is some, or perhaps even the the represents, um, uh, the um, uh, the product of uh, a company that is maybe working uh, in this sense better than others, maybe. Um, But how do we get more women uh, in leading positions? So talking about this pipeline, (laughs) Mm. how do we make it stronger?
1: Well, strengthening the, 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 the female talent pipeline, and again, um, you can actually take that in the, in the broader sense also, um, other, other diverse talents too, not, not just on gender, but we zoom in on, on gender because I keep telling to anyone who wants to listen, I mean, women are really not a minority. Uh, we are half the world. So men wouldn't be born if it wasn't for women and a mother. So I, I really need to think differently. You know if we're looking in our workplaces it's um it's extremely important to make sure that the talents that are coming in are being uh, of course uh, seen and heard equally and especially are being um developed so it's also a great retention strategy to go and of course be fully aware of what talents you have which ones are the high performers um and make sure that um Not so long ago, when you looked at the very top of companies and still today in many countries, um, the gender split is is really not good. And you can imagine if you have a 10-90% split when people are then sent on executive development courses, MBAs and so on, uh, the budgets are absolutely not fair because they're going to the 90% at the top, uh, which are typically men. So what a lot of companies have decided to do and what we also uh, specialized in, is actually to choose um, the best talents that you have, uh, the female talents, and make sure that you tell them, of course, how uh, how great they are and how you see their potential in your organization. You send them on these specialized leadership programs that just happen to be for women, but it's not about fixing the women at all, it's fixing the pipeline. So. Sometimes we are asked, why do leadership programs uh, just for women, why do they actually work? Why are they necessary? But I tend to say, well, it's a bit like in a company. I mean, we only have finite resources, all of us. So if you're in a company and you have a major problem that you are lacking software programmers, for example, well, then you make sure you invest and, and develop more software programmers. That doesn't mean that marketing or HR standing, jumping around saying, I want to be part of this program, too. So it's the same thing in terms of making sure that uh, you have a strategic approach of how to strengthen your pipeline of, uh, of female talents and hence female leaders. So these uh, programs we do across industry, amongst all the, the large companies here in the Nordics and beyond, and uh, that can be uh, Mass Tangers and PwC and like many different companies, banks and so on, that are sending their brightest women. What sort of happens which is a bit the secret sources also in these programs and we have two levels by the way we both have a fast track for the younger talents and then further up in the pyramid where mackenzie typically calls it the broken rung uh the first step of the pyramid and all the way up at the top of the pyramid they basically say that uh, that's where you have the only one so the, the woman feels she's the only one left Uh, amongst all the men and then she leaves and become a consultant so Hmm. in the entire pipeline it sort of has a a major drainage twice um, and that's where you then suddenly are not anymore having the entire talent pool um, in your company so so these two programs we have what's really interesting to see I mean we make make sure that's that's my main mission is to to of course make these uh, leaders as world-class leaders with Harvard professors and Cambridge and so on do it with HeadSpring Um, But in addition to those uh, top professors and great lectures, uh, that, of course, is blended learning, so it's both happening uh, face-to-face and online, is that sort of social energy that happens to that secret sauce, as I call it, because suddenly these women are meeting other ambitious, driven women, um, which they don't necessarily have in their own uh, private life. And then they can discuss uh, leadership challenges, but also personal challenges. And again, we know from all the mapping of the barriers that women often face in order to reach the the top, there are also the issues of how do you handle it with your children and with your spouse Mm -hmm. and all the unpaid hours of work at home in terms of the cooking and the cleaning and so on, depending on your culture and country. So there are things that they can discuss together. And also that thing about often in the very top layer, because it is sort of an advanced leadership program we, we do, so they're typically talents ready for c-suite they will also face a lot of biases and talking about it you know informally during the lunch or the dinners we have and so on really helps a lot so our alumni is really sharing these things and they're all extremely dedicated of course themselves to wanting to be inclusive leaders Going forward and making sure that that they hack their own brain and don't have too many gender biases themselves mm-hmm. going forward.
0: Yeah. So certainly the power of the, of the network is um, is uh, very important and, and uh, I think we've probably all experienced it um, in our lives at some point uh, having that group of women um, who are you can um, bounce ideas off each other and um, and confide in even um, in a I guess in a less formal way. But if you mm-hmm. were to give uh, maybe a very quick advice. Obviously, what you do, there is a lot of training, education. If you were just to give a very, you know, um, practical piece of advice right now to mm-hmm. companies listening, to, maybe to the HR function of a company, really trying to to bring about change, what would you tell them? What is the first thing they they need to do to change in a, you mm-hmm. know, the structure um, of the company? Well, uh,
1: yeah, that that is difficult to to answer just <laughs> with one thing, but. I actually do think, um, like with anything else, also the, the whole move towards uh, green energy and everything that's happening on sustainability and whatever. It's the same with diversity inclusion. You've got to walk the talk. And that means, again, if you do not have the full buy-in from the top, from the CEO, from the board, from the top leadership, then it's going to be really difficult to change. Because people do typically in organizations look upwards. And if they don't see role models and ambassadors for this kind of agenda, then actually today, because, you know, talents are scarce, they will leave. So start definitely with the top management. Make sure that they are onboarded. Make sure they're educated, whether that is in conferences or training or whatever it is. Give them some books. Mm-hmm. And then I must say, I mean, those CEOs that are real advocates for this agenda, I'm, I'm very fortunate to know quite a few Super powerful when they stand uh, on stage or anywhere or talk to the press and actually say how important this is for their companies. And that way they get the very best talents also to to apply for jobs there. Um, and then, of course, it's the whole thing on you know, make sure today that you start really building that pipeline that needs to apparently now go all the way up to the board. thank God. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes years. People really think that they can move the needle fast. Our experiences that you need to, keep sending five, 10 women, if it's a cross-industry program, you know, every year. And then eventually, um, then you actually have a a great talent pool that you can promote as soon as there are chairs available, whether that is at senior vice president level or or C-suite. Because if you don't do that uh, with a really clear focus and investment, then it's going to be really, really difficult. As soon as one or two women leave at the top, the percentage...
0: As soon as uh, one or two women live at the top, the percentage drops. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Exactly. So um, you need to keep up the speed, basically. That, yes. That's a key thing. So I guess uh, anyone looking at this within an organization, they the advice is to just be persistent and to knock at the CEO's door. Um, we are also coming out of, hopefully out of um, a, a pandemic, um, or at least we're talking uh, two years after the pandemic, the, uh, Uh, what we uh, would consider as the beginning of the pandemic internationally. And it Mm. it has been quite challenging, hasn't it? Uh, Particularly for for women, we've seen statistics um, um, according to which um, more women than men were living or considering living um, paid work uh, because Mm. of the pressures that they had to deal with uh, at home in terms of uh, looking after the household, looking after um, young children, looking after elderly parents. Have we learned anything out of these couple of years? Uh, and by we, I mean not just individuals, <laughs> employees, women and men, but also organizations.
1: I think in general it it seems um, for everyone it's been a really tough time. Um, so it it's not been easy. Um, there's also been a lot of burnouts and a lot of people had to... Um, Unfortunately, uh, which is something we are monitoring very carefully and also have seen global research on this, it it seems that the lockdowns, especially in the homeschooling, um, the nurses in the front line and so on. I mean, it has really the pandemic has been having a a major um, effect on women in the workplace. So uh, the initial report said that about 25 percent of uh, women were, it's a high number, 25 percent, of women would consider to either um, go part-time or completely leave the workplace. But the latest report I've seen after two years now is that it's estimated to be up to 34%. It's even higher. So if we're already now looking at well-educated women across the world, I saw figures from Saudi where even 51% of the college um, holders are actually now, uh, college degree holders are are women. Um, So a 50-50 split on education we really must make sure that they all enter the workplace and that they see upwards equal opportunities. So in terms of the uh, the impact of the uh, pandemic, I think it's extremely important that that is not suddenly um, having a, 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 a detrimenting effect on the path ahead um, because there is a lot of positive changes also, and we need to make sure that we're even more focused on retaining all these female talents that may consider uh, leaving. And that can be through, I would say, the positive, the the silver lining, uh, the positive side of what we've all learned in the pandemic is, of course, um, the whole digital approach, which also offers so much more flexibility. And I think not just for women, but for young families and even for elderly and you know depending on where you are in your in your life phase then flexibility is a fantastic uh, thing to have and everybody has seen that working from home is possible and can actually be quite efficient and a really good um, way to maybe mix a bit when you're in the office and and when you work from home Um, so connecting also across countries in a much easier way much faster way there's been a lot of positives and I think that's really here to stay
0: so let's end on a high note. Um, again, after this terrible, challenging two years, um, we hopefully also have learned that there are different ways of working that um, uh, would benefit so many uh, people, not just women, um, and that hopefully we uh, will continue to to consider, again, perhaps hybrid models so, um, or, or new ways of uh, uh, making sure that our, the more and more people are included in, in uh, uh, paid work um, and that um, uh, we focus on uh, new solutions rather than uh, traditional ways of, um, uh, of working. So, Tina, thank you so much for talking to me and for sharing your thoughts. Um, we've spent um, a good half an hour together going through all mm-hmm. the positives and the challenges ahead when it comes to diversity and inclusion. Did um, would you, would you, would you want to add something else?
1: No, I just want to say, of course, thank you for having me. But I also want to end on saying I really think the time is now. I've worked with this for for more than a decade and uh, the time has never been better. There's like this sort of perfect storm, as I tend to call it. It's coming from everywhere. This super talented women who really now are pushing ahead. The next generation is expecting a diverse workplace uh, you have the top management that really want this, you have investor, the investor community who's demanding it. You mentioned BlackRock and you know you have the indexes out there and everybody's saying we do not want to do an IPO if there's not a good gender mix um, in the top leadership and so on. And then, of course, people wanting to align with the SDGs, SDG5, gender equality, there's all the compliance, there's the new legislation coming. Um, I, I actually think we are we are heading towards the light. We are we're, we're going a good place. So and eventually, I think my company is called Above and Beyond, and I actually think in who knows, 20 years, 10 years from now, we're probably above and beyond talking about gender <laughs> equality, and it should just be a normal thing, right?
0: Let's hope so. Thank you again mm-hmm. so much, Tina Williamson, owner and CEO of uh, Above and Beyond. Thank you. Thank you everyone for listening, and I'm Sylvia Pavoni, your host for today's podcast.